an old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Scope on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 275 on the network. Now, before we say hello to Bob and, and get going with the show and answer all the questions we got within the past week, I just want to say thank you to our almost 50,000 plus subscribers. Because of your efforts and because of your push, we now are on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio Podcast. So thank you for that. If you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review, uh, make sure you give Bob five stars today and write some great comments. We can continue to successfully battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball today. So with that, uh, Bob, we have 74 countries tuning in today. As I said, almost 50,000 subscribers. I want to welcome you back to your show and uh, see how you're doing today. I'm doing well. It's a week went by fast. <laughs> yeah. And you got your tea time set for today? No, I'm not playing today. I need it. I'm in a slump. Uh oh. I was going to ask you that, but I guess we don't want to talk about that. How no, you I got, I got, I'm benching myself for a few more days. Got to have a pinch hitter today. Yeah. No, yeah. All right. Well, with um, with with today's show, we've had some you know some questions of the audience. I know we we touted that we were going to talk some double plays today, which I'm excited about. But uh, wanted to kind of touch on some of the, I guess, immediate questions people had in our, our audience. One was, um, you know, we, we have the bigger bases this year, obviously. But as you look on baseball, whether it's grassroots, college, minor league baseball, major league baseball, controlling 90 feet is so important. And the audience kind of wanted to know. What are some tips? Uh, what are some thoughts? What are some staples that you impress upon pitchers, uh, guys holding runners on uh, to help control those 90 feet? Well, you're right. 90 feet is big. Um, sometimes the difference between giving up a double play situation. Uh, that's why I talk about outfielders on one hop to the base and a uh, cutoff man who I call the control man. He gets deeper so he can read the throw. If it's too late or offline, off he can cut it off and keep the batter runner from going to second base. But if you keep that batter runner in first, there's a chance for a double play and probably have to get two more singles in order to score the guy. So taking away 90 feet is important. Is very important. Now, the stolen base is big this year because I think the biggest reason is that they can only throw the first base twice. Otherwise, you got to pick them off or it's a balk. And uh, I don't think the pitchers are really improving their quickness to the plate. I think the catchers have more trouble throwing a second base because they're down on one knee, most of them. So uh, the stolen base is big, but it's still important to keep the runners close, uh, you know, be quick to the plate, you know, slide step or whatever it may take. But when you give that guy an easy stolen base, you're just setting up a bad situation for your defense and, you know, they're going to have easier chance of scoring runs. Um, you know, as far as picking players off or picking, you know, runners off, uh, that's another you know, scenario altogether, but it's more important to hold them close and keep them from taking an extra base or easy stolen base because pickoffs sometimes don't work. You know, sometimes they cause more problems. They might throw it away or something like that. So again, holding runners, you know, varying your, your speed to your time to the plate 
or hold, you know, like I said, holding a run, holding a ball rather than just so the runner can't time you. I mean, controlling a runner is like controlling a hitter. It's all about timing. You know, a runner can time you when you're leading off first or even second. They're going to seal the base easy. So you got to control. Sometimes you hold the ball for two, three seconds. Sometimes you just hold it for half a second. But yeah. that's big, so that hitter can't, or the runner can't get a walking lead, or, or you know, anticipate the jump and take off soon. So that, that's a big factor. And I think pitchers, I don't see them doing as good a job this year as they have in the past. But uh, maybe they're not really that concerned about giving up a stolen base. But you know, some teams are better than others, of course. Yeah. And you mentioned a few things, and I think that, that would interest our, our audience a ton as far as, I guess it would be patterns that pitchers fall into. Um, delivery to the plate, whether it's a slide step or the regular delivery, um, how long they hold the ball, maybe number of looks. What, what are some things that you impress upon pitchers? Because obviously the important, you know, the other important part is you got a batter standing 60 feet, six inches away, and you want to throw a strike. So um, how do you balance that with the pitcher? to, I guess, to impress upon him. Number one, strikes are important, but these 90 feet's important. What are some things you, that you tip him off of in terms of varying looks, varying delivery, um, varying timing? Give, give some nuances or give some practical application. Well, again, I think, uh, you know, a runner tries to time the pitcher. So the pitcher has to upset his timing. That's where you hold it, you know, three, four seconds sometimes, maybe four, five. You know, there is a pitch clock, so you can't hold it too long. But I think he just upset his timing. I mean, I would have one of the best stolen base players in history is Ricky Henderson. If you watch Ricky, he'd pick his right foot up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. And eventually he held it long enough, he, he'd stop. So he had no momentum to, to steal the base. Not all the time, but that was the only defense you had against him because once he took off, it'd be tough to catch him. But I think uh, <clears throat> for a pitcher to you know, hold the ball, sometimes slide step, which is get rid of the ball quicker, those are all part of holding a runner on. Are there, are there, you, I like the point you made about Ricky Henderson and that's, I guess that's a physics, an object in motion will stay in motion. So watching his feet, are there other things you watch with the base runner to determine uh, whether he's got a big enough lead for, for a steal? Is there a distance that you're kind of, I know there's a cutout over there in the first base side for the most part. <clears throat> Is there something you're eyeballing over there other than the feet? Well, in the major leagues, you know, they have advanced scouts. And that's one thing, you know, I advance for the playoffs. Uh, every every year we're in the playoffs. And one thing I look for, sometimes if a guy's going to steal, he takes a shorter lead. Sometimes you, you can see him leaning. So they tip off a lot of things. Um, again, it's like individual players and runners are different. Uh, some get try to get a walking lead. They'll start later and start walking and just continue on with their momentum to second base. So that, that's things you have to make sure you stop them, especially the second base. <clears throat> the pitcher has to stop the runner at second. Because in order to steal third, you gotta, got to either have a walking lead or a real big lead. But a lot of that stuff, they, they tell you what they're going to do if you watch close enough. And uh, some telltale signs are uh, obvious and some not that obvious. But with a you know good advanced scout in the big leagues and even in high school, college, somebody from the bench <clears throat> should be watching the runner and see if he's giving something away. You know, some of them lean, get onto the right foot or lean on the right foot. Most of their weight's on the right foot, which means they're going to cross over with the left foot and take off. But it's just a matter of being observant and picking up little hints or little techniques that the runner might be doing. Yeah. <clears throat> one thing I got pointed out on me as a, as a base dealer, and this was from uh, m- one of my own coaches as I was playing, is that I had a tendency to open just slightly my front toe when I was stealing. 
So rather than being square or parallel to the base path, I had that right foot just a little bit open. And then I learned later on, once I got pointed out to me that I just kept it open all the time. It was just uh, more conducive to, to stay in balanced and that way it wasn't tipping. Um, that, that's kind of what you're talking about with tips, telltale signs, right? Yeah, right. Well, that's a good technique for opening your right foot a little bit. So, you, you know, you don't have to spin as far to take off. But you should do it all the time, not just when you're stealing a base. But again, you know, real good base runners, you know, they're pretty discreet on what they're going to do. But again, the situation is most important. You know, what's the count? What's the inning? What's the score? Uh, how many outs and stuff like that? With two outs, two strikes, the guy's more likely to steal. And uh, because the thing, if the guy hits the ball, he's on his way. And if he swings and misses, the inning's over. And and if he gets thrown out of second base, the hitter starts off with a clean count next inning. So a lot of times I'd give a, a base runner a steal sign. It might be 50-50 he's going to make it, but if had a good hitter up, he hits the ball in the alley, he's going to score. Um, if he strikes out, he strikes out. But if he gets thrown out stealing second base, at least that good hitter leads off the next inning with a clean count. Yeah. No, that's good points. Now you'd mentioned <laughs> second base being crucial. Obviously you're now in your it's red zone offense. Let's say if it's football, it's scoring position on there. Are there, uh, you know, techniques, strategies, cues that, you know, the thing I see the most is, which I hate, especially as a former middle, middle infielder and then you as well. Um, when you got a, a guy holding the base guy at second base, moving toward the base and the pitcher goes into his delivery. Um, so now you're leaning toward the bag, leaving an open hole your momentum is going toward the bag and you got to shift and go back. So there's two things you got to do. You got to field your spot, but hold the guy. Are there certain uh, techniques, strategies, cues that you give your middle guys when they're holding a runner on to either, number one, control the timing between pitch and moving back to position, but two, keeping that guy tight. Um, you know, so well, you can I think the best, the best defense, I've seen guys, second baseman play close to the base or the shortstop play close to the base and they start shuffling away from the base as the pitch is looking at them. And a good base runner and a good third base coach will tell him, okay, okay, all right, all right. And he'll get a walking lead. So you can't give him a walking lead. Now, the way I like to have infielders hold a runner on is play a little bit deeper, maybe a little farther away from the base, and just start creeping toward the runner as the pitcher's looking at you. Now, if the runner gets has a big lead or he takes a walking lead, you just start and put the pickoff play on, you know, daylight play or just flash your glove or whatever. But the thing you got to remember is that a good third base coach is a runner's eyes. So the runner can't see you. He can kind of feel you a little bit, but the third base coach kind of dictates to him what you should do. And if you dart him back, a lot of times with two outs, I'd dart the guy back. I'd take a you know, quick crossover step, and a third base coach yell back, and he goes back, and the pitcher pitches. But you have to coordinate with the pitchers. We used to all the time work with the pitchers and the infielders just individually and see what to look at. I mean, the pitcher, when he's running on second base, he should look at the infielder, see what he's doing. And if he's, he starts creeping and he stops, you can pitch. If he keeps creeping, he's creeping, and all of a sudden he darts to the base, you got to pick him off, or at least turn and look like you're going to pick him off. He might not throw it, but you shut the runner down. And, uh, again, the only way you're going to steal third is have a big lead or have a walking lead, so you got to shut one of those or both of those down. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's become a problem in Major League Baseball. This year, everybody's excited about, you know, obviously more stolen bases, but we've reduced the, the, I guess, the intricacies of stealing bases by shortening the distance and limiting the, the number of picks over there. So I'm not quite certain we've become better base stealers in Major League Baseball. But I think it's, it's hurt the pitchers, too, because the, uh, it's almost like learned helplessness. 
there's no, there's even less strategy going on right now. The whole guy's on and uh, less strategy to, to pick them off. So it, uh, it's painful to see, but I think those are good tips and points uh, for the middle. And, uh, you know, the daylight play is good at second base. Uh, we, we, show an, we show an open hand to the pitcher, like if I'm if, uh, with our shortstop holding, you know, so it'll be away. If the second base, it's kind of the glove. We show a little open hand just to let the pitcher know subtle to say, okay, I'm ready, pitch. That way it's kind of like you said, you can dart in, get the guy back and then throw uh, or see the shortstop second base shuffle back. But we use that open hand. Try not to confuse it with the, the uh, daylight play. Uh, you know, God forbid they show the wrong hand. Now it's in center field. But yeah. uh, well, that that's how part of the communication between the infielder and the pitcher. And, you know, some people might not understand when we talk about daylight play. But daylight means if the shortstop can get daylight between the runner and himself, in other words, he's closer to the base than the runner is, that's what you call daylight. So in a daylight play, if the runner, I mean, the uh, infielder shortstop flashes glove, that means he's going to go to the base. If he waves him off with his bare hand, that means pitch. The same thing with a second baseman. Of course, you can't get daylight because there's no runner on that side of the base. But if he puts his right hand out, that means he's going to he's going to uh, try to pick him off. He's going to dart to the base. In his left hand, the glove hand, he just wave him, you know, pitch. So the communication is very important. And again, the pitcher should be watching the infielder, not so much the base runner. That's good. That's a great point right there. I think if <laughs> nothing else, audience, take that away from it because I do believe. And, and probably my group's guilty of is as well, staring at that base runner more than they are the infielder. And that's a, that's a great point. And this is stuff the team should work on daily, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, individually, you know, pitcher with infielder, every pitcher one-on-one, one-on-one with the infielders. And, uh, again, the infielder, if he's out there and the pitcher looks, if the pitcher's looking at the infielder, all of a sudden the guy has a shorter lead, just give him the flash like pitch. And it just eliminates a lot of – back and forth and double looks, triple looks, stuff like that. But, you know, the, the pitcher, one or the better, best way of uh, avoiding the guy stealing third is a no-look. Sometimes you have a no-look pick. Where that's a timing play. In other words, the pitcher looks home and doesn't even look a second, just pitches. <clears throat> now, again, if the runner steals third, he's got a time to pitch it. So a lot of times he'll look once and he'll pitch. He'll maybe look twice. But there's one-lookers that once they look once, once they start turning their head, a good base runner second will take off because he knows he's not going to you know, pick you off. So there's just certain factors that go into it. Um, you got to just be a little smarter than a runner. But the big thing, again, is have the infielders and pitchers communicate. And a runner and a pitcher looks at the second baseman or shortstop, and if they flash the glove with a bare hand, second baseman towards second, that means turn around and pick them off, otherwise pitch. Yeah. You know, those are, those are key points you mentioned. Uh, you know, you can count the number of looks. You can count the time it takes. Sometimes pitchers will throw, um, you know, certain pitches based on the number of looks they give. Uh, they, they maybe can't throw their curveball off the slide step. So it's uh, it, it's an interesting cat and mouse game. I'm, I'm kind of upset they took some of that away with the number of picks you can throw over and the shortening of bases. But uh, those are good nuances I think our audience will get we'll get from today's uh, first 15 minutes here. Let's, let's go on to some other questions people had, you know, we tend to overcomplicate the game of baseball and, and by we, I don't mean you, you and I, I mean, in general out there and we're watching it and um, some of our audience is trying to simplify it staples and, and we're curious. And I answered a couple people back and kind of curious to get your point. So get asked, you know, what are just, if you were to emphasize something to your team from a pitching standpoint, from a fielding standpoint, from a hitting standpoint, what would one thing each way, and you could do more than one that you'd hang your hat on and say, if we do this, 
we're going to have success. And just kind of an example, uh, what I wrote back to one uh, person was, you know, I said, if we can throw early strikes as pitchers and not, I guess I gave two by accident. That's the Italian in me. I said, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to walk people. We don't want to put people on base free passes. We can't defend that defensively. Let's, let's defend that six by six box, just the routine plays. And from a hitting standpoint, let's put the ball in play. If we do those three things, we're probably going to compete. So from your standpoint, staples, and you can, you can talk about as many as you want. What are some staples that you would impress upon your teams or that you would, you would advise our audience, you know, if they're coaching a team or talking to their kids from, you know, pitching standpoint, fielding, hitting standpoint, if you just do this one thing, you're going to be okay. Well, first of all, I always tell my teams, if you don't beat yourself, you've got a good chance of beating the other team. So, you know, you're going to make errors, but don't make mental errors. It's all about anticipation, communication. You talk to each other in the field. So you eliminate, you know, a, a mental error, basically, a lot of times. But a lot of times, uh, you know, they also, you know, say, you get, give them 27 outs, don't give them 28, don't give them 30. You know, and get all your 27 outs. Don't get thrown out of the bases and we it's unnecessary to take an extra base. And again, it's, it's a smart person's game. You know what the situation is to, you know, score the inning, the uh, runners on base, uh, the outs, so forth. And the scoreboard will tell you everything. Look up there. It gives you all that information. There's certain times you take chances on the base. Certain times you got to shut it down. I mean, sometimes, you know, certain times as an infielder, you got to cheat in. We'll talk about that later. Cheat in for a double play, cheat over. You got to give up something to get something. But there's little things like that that go into winning a game. And uh, just like situation hitting, it's not just a matter of hitting the ball to right field. It's a matter of making contact a lot of times. I was watching a game the other day, extra innings, man at second, of course. And the first two guys struck out. I mean, the first guy's got to hit the ball. It's a left-hand hitter. Just get close to the plate, choke up, and just hit a ground ball to second base. You get the guy to third. Let the next guy drive him in. But when you strike out in that situation, you got nothing. He gives you nothing. I mean, you know the guy's probably going to throw you a breaking ball. And you know he's probably going to throw it off the play with two strikes. So you got to, you know, anticipate that. But putting the ball in play is most important. Uh, you know, you look at how many times these guys strike out. It's just ridiculous. I mean, a lot of times they take a, a fastball down the middle for strike three or to expand his zone on a breaking ball or even a high fastball and strike out. I mean, you just, to me, contact is what it's all about. That's why I'll take a guy like a raise who only hits maybe eight or 10 home runs, but he hits 360 and he walks a few times besides. I mean, he puts the ball in play. He advances base runners and he gets himself on base. I'll take him over a guy that hits 40 home runs because the guy that hits 40 home runs, usually he's striking out almost 200 times. And when you strike out with a man in third, less than two outs, that's the same as not hitting a home run. So putting the ball in play is most important. And uh, I think teams should practice two strike situations and just hitting the ball. I always say hit the ball on the ground, try to hit the ball on the ground. That'll shorten your stroke up and you got a better chance of putting the ball in play. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it puts a lot of pressure defensively. And again, like you said, you make them earn their 27 outs um, with putting the ball in play. And if they can field the ball and, and, and make plays and handle the ball without mistakes and good for them. But I think the more you do that, the better. What, what about from a pitching standpoint? Um, you know, you got your pitchers up there. I'm sure everybody has certain things that they measure, some first pitch strikes. Um, you know, I, I tend to, with younger guys now, tend to focus on getting ahead in the count and um, and not putting guys on base. But uh, what are some things that you would emphasize with your pitchers? Well, I think the best, uh, biggest thing about pitching is to get ahead and then expand the zone. Um, 
strike one is the most important pitch in the game, as you know. Actually, lately, I think uh, last year or so, the hitter's batting average on the first pitch strike, or the first pitch is one of the highest batting average going because they know the pitch is going to just try to get ahead of you by throwing a lot of times a fastball. But a down and away located fastball is the best pitch on strike one. I mean, for the first pitch, and hopefully it's a strike. But you want to get ahead. Once you get ahead, the averages percentage-wise always go way down than when you're behind. Because when you're behind, not a hitter can pick a spot and pick a pitch. Where when you're ahead, that hitting area for him has to expand a little bit. You know, a good hitter with no strikes will pick a spot where he likes it, middle in, I call it the happy area. If he gets it there and it's the pitch he wants, he whacks it. Now with one strike, the happy area gets a little bigger. And with two strikes, happy area gets like the whole strike zone. And a lot of times the hitter will expand the strike zone, get tricked by a pitch, and he strikes himself out because he thought it was going to be a strike and it became a ball, and he, he struck himself out. But, again, pitching is nothing more than get ahead and then expand the zone once you get ahead. No, I, I would agree. Now, what about in the field? We did a little bit about holding runners on, but in terms of in the field, what are things you impress upon your defense to make it, you know, not to be super intricate, but just you do these basic things well, we're going to compete. Well, in the field, you've got to play the situation first. All right, so what's going to hurt you? A double, so you play a little deeper in the outfield. Um, a lot of times you get the, you get a sinker baller, so the infielders may have to play a little bit sh- little shallower. I mean, a lot of times they got to throw a good slider, a right-handed hitter will top it. So I just think that th- third baseman should play a little shallower. <coughs> Excuse me. But just, you know, you play the situation first, and you play the hitter second. Uh, you know, if the situation calls for a double play, you got to cheat in, you got to cheat over um, it's just like I said, it depends what's going to hurt you defensively, and you got to defend against that. <clears throat> so say that again for me. You said situation first, and then? Yeah, situation first. I mean, say it's first and third, one out. All right, it's a tie game. You don't want to play in, in because you don't want to give them an easy run. Now, if you got a, unless you've got a real fast runner, you want to play double play depth, but you want to cheat in a little bit and cheat toward the base a little bit more. So if you get the ground ball, it's going to be double play. And if it's hit softly, you can still come in by playing, you know, maybe three depth. By playing a little bit, you can still get the guy at home if he goes. So you play the situation, and uh, even if the guy's a left-handed pull hitter, the second baseman still has to play close enough to the base. In case he hits the ball to the left side, you can still turn a double play. So you give up something to get something. And uh, we're just like later in the game, say you're up by three or four runs, man in first base or first and second. It's more important to get one out rather than try to cheat to get the double play. Because when you cheat to get the double play, you lose a little bit of range. So good infields play a little deeper. Just get one out at a time because you're still up three or four runs. So just situations, like I said, you play the situation first and you play the hitter second. You factor both of them together, so to speak. But it's most important to know what the situation is and what can hurt you uh, defensively, extra base hit, so forth. Yeah. And remind our audience again, we went through this the last show, but the four, three, two, one depth, three depth, where is that for you on the field? Well, the one depth is uh, nobody on or a man at second base. You play all the way back as deep as you can play, but not too deep. Some guys play too deep. So every play is a tough play, but your one depth is back. Two depths is probably two, maybe three steps closer when a double play is in order. So you get the ball sooner, you get the ball to the second baseman or shortstop sooner, and you can turn a double play. The three depth is used with a man in third and nobody out. It's probably right behind the baseline. 
the reason you play three depth as against four depth, which is on the grass, is because with nobody out, the runner's not going to go unless it's through the infield. They'll never run a contact play with nobody out. I mean, they do it. It's not good baseball. It's stupid. And they won't do it. First thing the third base coach tells you when you get on third base with nobody out, they'll tell you, make the ball go through. Yep. So if you get back two or three more steps than the four depth, you got a better chance of keeping the ball from going through. All right, so the four depth now is one out. Contact play probably on, uh, good runner on third. You play in a four depth, he's on the grass. So if you get the ball, if he goes on contact, you got a chance to throw him out of home. If he doesn't go on contact, the next pitch you can back up. You can see if he's going to go on contact. If he's leaning, trying to get that little extra secondary lead. And if you see he's not going to go or if he's a slow guy, just move back to the three depth with one out. But again, it's knowing a situation, knowing what you're trying to defend against, and just play accordingly. Yeah, I like that. And I guess it kind of segues us into what we promised our audience, the double play. All right, turn to double play. You know, team defense is the key to winning baseball games. Uh, championships are won by teams that have good pitching and good defense. And the ability of infielders to turn to double play is the one key factor in team defense. Uh, they change the rules. Two rules they change. Number one, you can't take the second baseman and shortstop out of second base, which I don't think is a good rule. I think it's a bad rule. I think it was overreacted because a guy got his leg broken because <clears throat> when he got his leg broken, he tried to turn a double play on a ball that was not a double play ball. It was too softly hit to the infielder, and he tried to turn a double play, and I think it was Utley that was out of the baseline. He should have been out anyway by the rules from before. He, he hit him. I don't think he meant to break his leg, but he ended up with a broken leg. But to me, it was his fault because he should have just taken like a first baseman and got out of the way. But uh, he tried to turn it, and it didn't work out too well for him. And now all of a sudden, they changed the rule. Because in the, in the older days, breaking up a double play was a key ability that some players had. I mean, they say Hal McRae was one of the best at breaking up double plays. And you know, they cringe every time he was on first. But that was all part of it. Plus, it took a lot of skill away from making a double play. Because in those days, when you could break it up, the infielder had to get the ball, get rid of it quick, and get up in the air so you can either dodge the runner or if he hits you, if you're up in the air, you're not going to get hurt. But now, basically, anybody can play the infield, middle infield, because, you know, they can't take you out. The another rule they change is, uh, you know, the, the overshift, which I think that's great. Because in the overshift, a lot of times nobody could get to second base, especially where the ball was hit. So now this year, I think I've seen more ground ball double plays than I've seen in the last three or four years combined. Because... Infielders are on their, their side of the base, and they can still turn a double play. And it takes a skill to turn a double play. And we'll talk about, uh, you know, how to do it. So, like I said before, uh, you got to know to uh, be cognizant of the game situation. Is a double play important or isn't it important? If it's not important, like up by three or four runs late in the game, just play normal depth and just get one out at a time. Uh, <clears throat> but in a double play situation, the infielders, they must cheat in two depths. And depending on speeded runners, maybe get a little closer to the base if the guy's really fast. But hopefully every ground ball you field, unless it's really a slow roller, you can turn a double play on. Because the double play is most important in that situation. But like I said before, you have to give up something to get something. So by giving up a little range, you got a chance to make a double play by cheating in and cheating close to the base. Um, <clears throat> there's not the worst team giving extra outs because you're in a position for double play when a ball like you could have, uh, you could have feel if you're a little back, a little farther back, but when you're up by four or five runs, you know, the double play, like I said before, is not that important. Getting out one at a time is really important. 
All right, now the same token, if uh, there's men on first and third, one out, say tie game. We talked about this before. You played a double play depth, or maybe cheating a little more, almost a three depth. So any ground ball you get, you can basically turn a double play. Now, if it's a slower roller, you still got a chance to only get a home plate because you're a little bit closer than two depths. So I'd say, I don't know about two and a half depths or three depths, but, and again, every one of these depths uh, change according to the hitter, you know, the runner, or according to speed of the infielder, infielder's arms, and so forth. So my one depth may be shorter than your one depth because your arm is better than mine. But it's all within a little range area. All right. Uh, <clears throat> the big thing, too, is that the infielders have to communicate with each other. Let them know, okay, we got to make this double play, or just make sure one. And the big thing about a double play is a first throw makes a double play. If the infielder makes a bad throw to the pivot man, it's going to be very difficult to make a double play. So the first throw is very important. All right, so the second baseman pivot, uh, again, he's too depth. He's got to get to the base before the shortstop or third baseman throws it to him. So he's got to cheat in, cheat over, get to the base. And there's a lot of ways to teach a double play. I think I like the simplest way. Some guys teach it some different way, but to me, the second baseman, you get to the base as quick as you can, put his left foot on the base, his right foot to the you know, side of the base. All right, as soon as the ball is thrown, he steps with his right foot, catch the ball, leaving his left foot on the base, catch the ball almost like a little hop step for you know, like a crow hop, catch the ball, steps with his left foot, and throws the first base. <clears throat> so that's the, how he turns a double play. Now, there are times, depending where the ball is hit, if it's hitting the hole or shortstop or hit the third base, he has a time to go get the ball. In other words, he's got to go toward them with his right foot, catch it. And what he should do, first of all, is put the glove up where he wants the ball thrown. So shortstop, third baseman, he sees the glove, try to hit the glove. So I'm going to put it up just right in front of my left, you know, left side of my in, my inside my body, but to the left side of the center. Because I want the ball a little bit there, lead me a little bit. So I catch with my right hand. I mean, right, catch my hand, I set my right foot, crow hop, and throw to first base. And then, again, in the old days, you have to catch it, get up in the air after you throw it so you don't get hurt. But it's not that important. You can almost land on your right foot, leave your right foot there, and, and still throw the ball. But, again, you want to get the ball as soon as you can. So the ball to third, when you get time to see it, or ball in a hole at shortstop, Second base, you have a chance to see in the air, so you now you got a chance to go get it. So go to get it. It shortens that throw up. You get the ball quicker. You get the first base quicker. Now, one time, to me, the only time when you should back off the base, in other words, get to the base with your left foot and back off. So if you're a little bit out of control, by backing off, you gain control again. Where if you're not out of control a little bit, if you step and go forward, you're going to you know, kind of maybe get out of control, maybe make a bad throw. <clears throat> but... Again, when you step with your right foot, <clears throat> you step and then you, you know, you tag you, your left foot's on the base, your right foot's out front. Just make sure that when you, you step with your left foot to throw the first, you don't step across your right foot, so you're throwing across your body. Your left foot and your right foot should be in a straight line to third base or the first base. So you're not throwing across your body. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but again, when the first base and the second baseman gets to the base, uh, he should he should always be looking for a bad throw. Bend your knees, anticipate a bad throw. If it's a bad throw, just catch it, and you'd like, be like a first baseman now. Forget about making a double play because a bad throw, whether it's low or off the base a little bit, you're not going to be able to turn a double play. So just catch it, make sure it went out, and get out of the way. I, I know we're, we're an audio show, not visual, but that feed from shortstop to second base, um, 
Talk about some of those feeds now. Obviously, if the shortstop's moving away, <clears throat> you're looking at more of a, you know, more of a line drive throw. I you hear the phrase "throw it up uh, uphill" right now, so that that ball is rising on them. They're a little closer. You may see a little drop down in the arm angle, uh, and in some cases, uh, an underhand flip. When do you use things like that? Well, the throw—that's next thing I'm going to cover. The throw from the shortstop. First of all, the shortstop. When he feels the ball, get in a position where your left foot is back a little bit. Your right foot's a little bit, you know, more forward. Whereas when you're going to throw the first, it's just the opposite. So your right foot's more forward. You, there's no crow hopping valve. You bring the ball to your chest, and you give a, a, a second baseman a firm throw, but don't handcuff him. Now, a lot of times, what you want to do, I, I still think you should bring the ball to your middle of your chest. A lot of shortstops will feel the ball on the right side and bring it straight up, and they're pushing the ball, and they don't have the same command or control to throw it to second base. Another thing is you should keep your wrist above your forearm. That'll keep the ball, you know, like backspin. Where if you drop your wrist down, it's going to be like an underarm throw, and it's going to sink and tail, so it's going to give a bad throw to the tough throw for the second baseman to handle. Anything that's uh, sinking and tailing, that's tough for the second baseman to handle. So it's tough for him to start moving before you catch the ball. I mean, for the pivot man to be quick, he has to move before he actually catches the ball. You can't catch it, then start your movement. you got to be moving toward the ball, moving before you catch it, bring it to your chest, and throw. Now, again, back to the second baseman. <clears throat> a lot of second basemen will catch it and bring it right back over their shoulder. We talked about this the other day about throwing. Your throwing motion starts in the middle of your body. So once you catch it, you make that little circle, get more arm speed, build the momentum with your arm, and throw the ball to first base. And then follow your throw as far as your body. <clears throat> your body should lean that way over top of your front foot, and again, if you do get hit, which you're not supposed to, but if you do, you're over your front foot and you get you fall down and not get hurt. <clears throat> but I'm hopeful, Bob, that the hard slide comes back because I still teach that with the second baseman is to get up. Um, yeah. I hate to think we have a generation of second baseman. If they do ever put it back in, they're going to get crushed out right. there. So I'm still teaching that. I'm, I'm holding on for dear life. Yeah, well, again, a lot of people are playing second now that don't have the skill to make the double play, but they can get away with it because you can't get hit. But I think that's smart to teach the right way. You know, throw it. As you throw it, your momentum carries you over your front leg, and sometimes you'll spin out of the way. But, again, if you're going to get hit, if you jump in the air, you won't get hurt. Because sometimes you can avoid the guy by jumping over him. But it's it's a technique, but you should, you know, Practice it all the time. It's just a matter of taking a crow hop. It's just a crow hop is what it is. But, you know, start with your left foot on the base. And even your right foot will be a little f close to the shortstop. So you don't have to go as far. And I, I know guys who teach it. They say, put your left foot, no, stay, stay behind the base. When the ball's thrown, step your left foot, then go get it. But that's a lot of motion before. And if it's a bad throw, you're kind of handcuffed because you're limited, you're anticipating a good throw. Where if you're on the base to start with, it's simple. Just catch the ball as your right foot hits the ground and throw so, again, getting back to the throws from the shortstop, and most errors are made by the, the uh, player that starts the double play, shortstop or second baseman, because before the play is, is made, they don't know what kind of throw they're going to make, more so for the second baseman than the shortstop. But depends where you're playing the shortstop. Most of the time, the ball sit right at you. You just come up, you know, you, you plant your feet, your right foot a little closer, a little farther in front, and then you open up as you catch the ball, you pivot on your toes and you open up and let the second baseman see the ball all the way. You don't want to throw across your body without a second baseman. He's handcuffed. He doesn't see the ball coming until it's almost on him. So you got to open up with your feet after you catch the ball, bring it to your chest, open up, you give him a nice firm toss, 
to the, and look for his glove and try to hit his glove with a nice firm toss. Now, if the ball's to your left as a shortstop, now you're going to underhand it. You're going to come in and get it. You're going to pick it up again to your chest. And you're going to walk, you know, take a step of your right foot as you underhand the ball to the shortstop. You don't want to underhand it with, you know, you're with your left foot because a lot of times the ball goes up in the air. You bring it to your chest and step with your right foot and bring the ball to the second baseman from there. I think that's a great point, Bob. Two things. One, bringing it to your chest because it, it keeps it consistent, making sure you, you field the ground ball first because you see so many double plays messed up because guys are trying to take care of thing number two before they take care of thing number one. And the second point, I hope audience paying attention to this, that underhand flip starts with your feet, not your arm. Because when you start flipping it with your arm, you you have you, we don't have the touch at that time to make you know judgments on distance. So your legs carry the ball, and and, I, and now the arm's just an extension. It's like when you go to eat a meal, the legs pay the bill, the arm's just the tip um, right. at the end of the meal. So I like that point, and, and that gives it. T- now it's just touch. It's just uh, with that uh, with that flip. So and I, and the other thing to point out, how audience gets show them the ball, especially the shortstop. I mean, always, whether it's second or short, but shortstop to second, everything's behind the second baseman. So the last thing they want to worry about is where's the ball. You're on the same team. Show them the damn ball. Let them see it early. Right. And that, that throw from the shortstop is like a stiff-wristed throw. But you big thing, step with your right foot and take it to them that way. Don't step with your left foot because then you flip the ball in the air and everything else. But, uh, you know, most errors are made – because the ball is hit and he doesn't anticipate what kind of throw he's going to make. Like I said, more, more or less second base will get that in a little while. But depending on where the shortstop's playing, sometimes he might have to go to his left a little bit and still make an overhand throw. But you should never, you should always know what kind of throw you're going to make before you make it. Because if not, you're thinking about the throw as you're trying to catch the ball and your mind goes away from the ball and you, you bobble the ball. Another thing is, if you see a kid that bobbles the ball a lot of times, it's because he doesn't watch the ball right into his glove. You got to watch it right into your glove. The second baseman will always be there, same spot, same spot. You don't have to look at him until you get, catch the ball and bring it to your chest. Then you pick him up. But watch the ball all the time right into your glove. And it's important for the receiver to the second baseman. If they have an idea, okay, the shortstop's moving in this direction to his left, I'm going to expect the flip. If they're moving away, I'm thinking, okay, a little bit more of an overhand throw with the, the wrist on top of the forearm. So understanding it as a receiver is important too, correct? Right. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, when the ball's in, in a hole, a shortstop, or a third, you're going to step your left foot, you're going to step your right foot and go get the ball to shorten the distance. Now, if the ball is right at shortstop, you don't have enough time to go get it because, you, you know, the ball's in your short period of time. So now you might just lift your right foot up, your left foot's on the base, just lift your right foot up and, you know, put it down like a little crow hop and throw. And it does not hit that hard you got to stay the right side of the base so that you can use the base for your protection. In other words, the runner, if he's going to get you, he's got to go through the base, which hopefully it gets hurt and not you. So you stay to the right of the base. But the big thing is you got to put your glove up where you want the ball thrown to. Because the shortstop, all he does, he's going to come up and look for your glove. Instead of having your glove down to your side, then go get it. Put it up there, give him a target, and hopefully hit your target. It's a good throw. The double play is going to be easy. Now, if the bad throw, you got to be act like a first baseman. Just catch it and get out of there because the double play is off because, you know, you can't turn a double play. you got to reach for a ball down or jump for a ball or whatever. Or go, you know, left or right. So just make sure you get number one out first. And it all starts with a good throw from the lead guy. Yeah. What about flipping it around now, the second baseman? Um, you know, you got you got different feeds there. You got the, the flip. You've got the, I guess, what's called the power feed where you're kind of overhand. 
Um, you've got the reverse turn if you're going away from uh, second base. You know, you've got to extend a little bit. You're, you're turning yourselves towards your butts toward the catcher, your belly buttons toward the right fielder. Um, then you have that, that I guess, the mirror of the drop step you, you talked about with the shortstop. Yeah. Well, uh, talk us through some of those. Well, we talked before. Second base is tougher to play than a shortstop because that, okay. the throw from the second baseman to the shortstop is a lot tougher than the shortstop to the second baseman. But, again, that's very important. you got to anticipate what kind of throw you're going to make before you field the ball. Depending on where you're positioned. And a lot of times you position normally – 18 to your left, or right at you, you're going to pivot. You're going to spin around and pivot. Sometimes you've got to jump around. If you look, say you have to go to your left, you got to jump around. But when you jump around, you know, you, you turn toward the shortstop and you, you kind of pivot a little bit on your right foot. Your left foot goes toward shortstop. You don't want to pivot where your uh, right foot goes backwards. You want to always pivot and go toward that where your throw is going to be made. But again, you bring it to your chest, you little hop, hop around and throw. Now, if the ball's hit, depending on where you're playing, if the ball's hit closer, closer to second base, you come up, and if it's behind the baseline, you take the ball and you walk it to say, you know, you're going to underhand flip to the shortstop. And again, you take a step, and your right foot is when you release the ball to the shortstop. And again, the shortstop's going to show you the glove. You just try to put it in his glove. Now, the other one is that the ball's in the baseline. Uh, you can't, it's too far, like you turn 90 degrees to turn around. So what you got to do is you got to side flip it where I call it. So, you know, your, your arm stays parallel and you backhand it, a backhand throw. But you, the big secret to that is have your arm parallel to the ground, not down where you're going to flip it up in the air. You got to have it parallel to the ground, bring it to your chest and bring it a side flip, you know, like a backhand flip to the uh, second, or to the shortstop. We were always, I was taught, and I know how you do it. When you finish your hand should be like you're waving high to the guy. So you get right. kind of a, a dead, dead ball to them. Now, I see a lot more second basemen are using that side flip even from uh, behind the base or behind the baseline because mm-hmm. they're very good at it. Now, Tony Pena, when I managed it, uh, when I coached it under him with Kansas City, we had Carlos Fabley at second base and Angel Broach at shortstop. And these guys are tremendous together. They made more double plays and they were tremendous. So one day, uh, Carlos threw like a sidearm, the kind of throw he want, and it, you know, it was a wild throw. So Tony went ballistic. He said, you got to be kidding me. That You can't throw like that. I said, Tony, you have to throw like that. He was a catcher. So during spring training, we used to have stations, you know, defensive stations. So I was running the infielders, of course, and I was practicing that throw, just playing catch, that sidearm, backhand throw. Tony came by on his golf cart. He said, I don't like that. I said, Tony, get your catcher's glove and get out of here, will you? But but he was great. But, you know, that's, a, that's an important throw. I mean, a shortstop has to use that throw when he goes up the middle. He can't spin around, so he's got to throw, you know, sidearm backhand. Yeah. And if you work on it, again, when you do it, you follow through with your left foot as you're making the throw. And it's a technique, but you have to work on it. But the big thing is you keep your arm parallel, your forearm parallel with the ground, and not upside down where you've got to flip it up in the air. So just flip it sideways. And if you practice it, it's a very quick throw to the base, and it can be very accurate, and it's the best way to do it. It's one of the ways we warm up in the middle every day. We do, uh, while the pitchers are doing PFP with the first baseman, our middle guys are working power feeds. Like you said, shortstop behind the bag, second baseman. And the key, just like you mentioned with the flip, I, I like the point as a second baseman, you're starting that movement with your left foot and you're crossing over. And that gets the body making the play as opposed to the arm. Because when you start doing the arm, there's so many variables that, could, that come into play with how hard you flip it, how high. 
If you can stay low, bring the chest, that sets your equilibrium. Now, boom, aggressive move with the left leg. That gets the zip on the ball. It gives it that little bit of oomph on it because uh, you, you want it crisp. You don't want it too hard, but you do want it crisp. Right, crisp. That's that's good. You know, I'd like that. But like like you said, you know, when you start a double play, whether it's shortstop or second baseman, you can't raise up. you got to stay down, you know, stay down, stay bent in your knees. You just come up, you work with your legs, but you, you throw, but you don't stand up and in throw. That takes time, plus sometimes you get a bad throw into the ground. But stay low and, you know, whatever throw you're going to make, stay low. But, again, can't emphasize enough, you have to know what kind of throw you're going to make before you before you catch it. You got to The outfield, when would you use that? The one where you're what's, fully, what's you know, that? The, the one where you're, you know, you're fully extended, you're going – Hundred miles an hour to your glove side. You can't do the jump turn. That's time for the reverse turn. We spin toward the outfield. Yeah, right. That, you know, turn toward your glove. So you know it's facing the outfield when you throw. That's that's like a hard shot or ball, like almost in a hole there. That's the only one. You rather than turn all the way around, you just catch it on your left side, spin toward the outfield, and make it throw that way. And usually it's only going to be for one out because it'd be tough to turn a double play. You get to go that far to catch the ground ball. And you let your momentum take you, right? Your body's it's a lot of what we're talking about is if you stay low and stay athletic, your body will tell you what to do for the most right. part. Well, I can't emphasize enough. When you catch the ball, bring it to the middle of your body. Now, if you got to jump or step, you got body control. These players who bring it back over the right shoulder, um, and you think about it, just get the ball now, put it in your hand, put it back over your right shoulder and take a crow hop, you don't have body control. You're out of control. Unless you're pushing the ball instead of throwing the ball, you can't get arm speed. So always bring it right to your chest. And uh, even a shortstop starting a double play, just bring it to your chest, open up, and throw. You should be open up actually when you feel the ground ball. But when you do it, just step or not step, just uh, pivot on your foot, your both feet, and throw. Open up so the guy can, so second base can see the ball coming out of your hand. And, you know, we talked about the banning of the shift, turn, making the double play a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, prevalent this year because in the past, well, the past few years, it's been like a third baseman playing shallow right field coming in to to do it or, or an out of position middle guy. And I think the banishment of the shift has sped up the game more so than some of the other components because we're getting more one pitch, two out plays. Because um, I agree with you, I've seen more double plays this year than than in the last five or six years maybe combined. Well, I agree. I mean, it, it's going to be more fun for the infielders, number one. And a good infielder is staying out more than they did before because before you had third baseman playing second base, uh, outfielders playing middle infield sometimes. And you know, there's skill to play in there. You got to have good feet, good feet, and you got to have a quick arm. And uh, but we're not able, not being able to uh, get to the base. I mean, many times you're overshifted. So if the only guy can get to the base is a shortstop who, or the third, second baseman who's on the left side of the infield playing where the shortstop plays. And the third baseman fields the ball. Now he's got to throw it to a second baseman going backwards. And he can't turn double play going backwards, you know, from the shortstop area to second base. So it was it was a joke. I mean, just uh, – but I talked to one analytical guy, and I said, you can't make a double play. You can't get anybody there. Well, he told me double plays weren't that important. <laughs> Imagine that. And analytical guy said, I said, what do you mean not that important? I said, here's a pitcher pitching his brains out, gets a routine ground ball to second base, and there's no one there. And second of all, another guy gets a ground ball, and no one can get to the base. So how is it not that important? But, uh, you know, those analytical guys got stuff twisted around a little bit, and, you know, they never played, so they don't understand what it's all about. And uh, anytime you get two outs on one pitch, that's a pretty good situation. Oh, my God, yeah. Makes everybody breathe a little easy. 
Well, t- talking about a guy that that play, and I, I know we're coming we're coming up on the end of time here, but wanted to get your opinion on a player. Uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera, three thousand hits, kind of five hundred homers, hundred batting average. There's only two other players in the history of the game, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, that have done that. I mean, what what's made him stand the test of time as a hitter? Because I remember when he came up, and that nineteen year old with the Marlins, he was, you know, it's a good size, but skinny, third baseman. Um, now he's, you know, we all get thicker as we get older, but he's, a, you know, a DH right now, not running as well. It happens to everybody, you know, when he's played that long, but you're talking 20 years where he stayed fairly healthy. It's been consistent. Um, what, what's made a guy like him, uh, sustain? Well, like you said, no doubt he's one of the best right-handed hitters ever in, in baseball. I mean, he's a lot like Manny Ramirez or Manny's a lot like him. They hit fastballs to right center field. They stayed on fastballs. They didn't pull off. So now, now. They can handle the breaking ball. Like Manny, we played against Manny or even uh, or uh, Cabrera. We all said, you can't throw a breaking ball in his strike zone because he'll whack it. You can throw it out of strike zone if you chase it, but doesn't chase that much. But, you know, they both of them had great, you know, visual skills. They can recognize a ball as soon as right out of pitcher's hand. But the thing is, their swing stayed through the strike zone for a long time. You know, they did bottom hand, what I call bottom hand extension. They weren't in and out. They weren't rolling the wrists in the strike zone. They kept through the, through the strike zone. And Cabrera would hit balls hard everywhere, left field, center field, right center field, even down the right field line. But the key was, you with Manny, is that they took fastballs. Sometimes Manny would follow a fastball off over the first base dugout because he's kind of like, he's, he knows, he's, he's like in respecting the fastball, but he's waiting for their breaking ball to be in the strike zone. You pull the left center field. But both of them basically used the opposite field gaps as well as anyone, which meant that they stayed in the zone for a long time and they had more hitting area as against a guy who was in and out of the zone quick. He's got to hit a perfect spot every time in the strike zone. Otherwise, you got to top it or maybe swing and miss at it. Yeah, and that's the difference. And you see those are two guys you mentioned, two really good right-handed hitters looking to go opposite field, looking to hit line drives, and it's amazing how many home runs they hit just by not striking out a lot, putting the ball in play work at opposite field where today we see the drastic pull side, the the drastic launch angle and really no, no care if you strike out that sense of pride and striking out is, is long gone. It used to be a badge of courage, right? Not striking out. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have any stats to prove this observation, you know, coach like 2000 games in big leagues and a whole lot more in the minor leagues or just as many, but the good hitters, what they did is that the good RBI guys, they usually hit the ball straight away or the opposite way. They didn't very rarely pull the ball. In that way, they open up more of the field. I mean, a pitcher, where you get a guy in third base or first base or, you know, runners on, they want to throw something the hitter will roll over on to get a ground ball to shortstop or to third base so he can turn double play. But the good hitters would hit the ball the other way. And if you watch a rally, like the team gets five, six runs without any home runs, most of the hits are straight away or the opposite field. And the good hitters use the whole field, and Cabrera was as good at that as anybody. And he had power besides. Some guys don't have the same kind of power to hit the ball in the opposite field like he did or Manny did. Yeah. And, uh, again, I think one thing wrong with the game now is they're all big on exit velocity. I mean, some of these guys are being paid on exit velocity. I mean, Joey Gallo, he hits 30 home runs, maybe 40, strikes out 220 times, maybe 250 when it's all over. But his exit velocity is probably as good as anybody. I mean, he can hit as far as anybody. But does it really help you win a game? But he gets paid for his exit velocity. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting six, seven million dollars a year for me. But that's the problem with the game: is that the 
players are evaluated improperly for me and they're playing for the evaluation, which I don't blame them because that's how they get paid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like children. They'll do what you, you tolerate. And, uh, yeah, right. I mean, they got the system beat. I mean, Array Array's is probably one of the best hitters in baseball. His exit velocity, say, is less than 90 or something. Oh, yeah. He's got exit velocity less than 90. Launch angle is negative. Right. And, uh, he's going to lead the league in hitting again. And, 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 I, and I, I would encourage young players to take a look at his approach to hitting. And just like uh, Bob said about Ramirez and, and Miggy, <clears throat> go back and look at some YouTube stuff and watch how long these guys let the ball travel. Um, watch where their chin placement is on the ball. You see these guys now, their chin is up in the air somewhere. These guys, right. had, I mean, a guy like Arenado I watched too, um, their head is down on the ball, almost over-exaggerated because they want to see the ball. And if you have chin, I call it chin discipline. If you can keep your chin locked in on the area that you want to make contact with, it's amazing. Your eyes will ha- your eyes have no choice but to follow it, and your body right. tends to do the right thing when your eyes are locked in on, on that spot. So, um, you know, you but mentioned – Another thing is, you know, with a hand position, when you make contact with the ball, their hands are out front, and the bottom hand is through, is, is through it, and so the bat's kind of flat in the zone. It's not like the top hand over top of the bottom hand because then your bat flops, and that's where you roll over, and that's where you miss a breaking ball. But these guys, they stay through it, the bottom hand extension, they call it, and, and, and the top hand may let go after they make contact, but basically their hands are like up up and down. If they open their palms up, the one palm be up, one palm be down. Yeah, Front sure. arm be down, back arm be up. And that gives it a flat bat, I call it, and uh, that allows you to hit the ball to all fields. Yeah. So if you're, you know, again, we're not visual, so, but the, the right hand for a righty hitter, the palm would be facing up. The left hand, the palm would be facing down. Right. Prevents the rollover. And, and I, I, I like the point. And the kids, take a look at this stuff, kids, when you're in adults too, when you're watching video. <coughs> the path that Bob's talking about, that longer glide path, your bat's in the zone much longer. It makes perfect common sense, although common sense isn't very common nowadays, that you're going to have a better chance of making solid contact with the ball if your bat's in the zone longer. With, uh, Oh, that's a that's one of the analytics guys calling you, Bob. They're going to yell yeah, at you. Some good hearing service. <laughs> you got to block them. Got to block them. <laughs> the launch angle stuff. You're seeing that bat enter the zone in a very small part. It almost has to be a, a perfect contact. And anyway, you're going to hit the ball straight up in the air with that right. case. So no, I like those those points. Good. So well, how, do, how do you want to leave the audience today? We almost spent an hour here, and, and uh, <laughs> I think they got a lot of good stuff today. I hope they had their notepads ready. But what what, what do you want to leave the audience with? And then maybe what do you want to tease them for next week? Well, I don't have anything for next week yet. We'll have to talk about that. But, uh, you know, again, when you're managing a team or coaching a team, just do the fundamentals. I mean, I'm not big on trick plays. Sometimes it'll work, but sometimes they'll screw you up more than they'll help you. Plus, it takes a lot of time to practice them. I mean, even pickoff plays. I mean, holding runners close is better than picking them off. I mean, not better than picking them off. But, I mean, every time you try to pick them off, you're going to probably throw one away out of four or five and might pick off one out of 15 or 20, maybe more. So don't spend a lot of time on trick plays. Just spend that time preventive. You know, like holding runners on. So don't take an easy steal. Don't get an easy stolen base. And, you know, get your 27 outs when you're in the, you know, offensively and only give 27 outs when you're defensively. And it's all about execution, which just starts with anticipation and communication. I like that. And, and, you know, there's two schools of thought, and I agree with you on it. There's that surprise and change where you got so many little intricate, things to try to trick people or their simplicity and execution. And I'm, I'm on that latter side there with you, I believe. Surprise, surprise, right? For both of us. 
Well, Bob, I think it was a great show today. Uh, you know, you catch them all. We got episode two seventy five. We'll be back next week. Audience, please supply us with some some thoughts and some questions, and we'll toss them at Bob Impromptu, who's like a savant over there with the baseball stuff. We could pick stuff out of a hat all day, and have them go. But picked up stuff on double plays today. Obviously, staples uh, that we're looking at in order to have success in games hinging on the fundamentals. Always kind of control that ninety feet. Maybe need to touch a little bit on Miggy and what makes him so uh, special as a hitter. So, And, of course, Manny. I know you've had experience with Manny as well. So, But, uh, Bob, great show today. We appreciate you so much. Uh, and congratulations on, I think I just said it last week, but uh, with, with your efforts, too, we're now part of iHeartRadio podcast. So congratulations to you. And then, well, that's good. The more people listen, the better it is. But don't be afraid to ask questions, or if you think some, you didn't hear it right or you heard it wrong or we're wrong, just let us know. Yep, without a doubt. Um, and I always tell people, do your own research, uh, test yourself, come up with your own ideas, and certainly challenge us week to week, and we'll we'll uh, get it out in the air here next week for you with Touch Em All. So, Bob, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, thank you.